0: Welcome to Life to the Full, a message to Christians. This is a podcast about the abundant life that God promises in Scripture. We want to inspire those who are frustrated with themselves and their communities to live a transformed life that will impact the world.
1: Our primary purpose is to be a platform that will impact the world through conversation. We
0: want to invite others to connect and unite in curiosity vulnerability Responsibility. Transform life is about growth, learning, and evolving. A transform life leads to transform communities, and transform communities impact the world.
1: One conversation
0: at a time. Hey everybody, how's it going? It's me, Jimmy Z, again here with the Life to the Full podcast. Running my t- again. Just me, numero uno, soloito, Jimmy James, Danielito, here. And I have a very special guest with me today. We have the man, the myth, the legend. We have Andre. Andre, how's it going, man?
2: Hey, hey, I'm good. I'm good. How are you?
0: Good, good. How's up? How's sunny, Ohio? Uh, I
2: think it's all right. Um... I, did it rain earlier? It might have rained. I don't know. Uh I mean it's warm. It's warm outside, but we be getting some rain showers this week.
0: Okay. So. Nice. Now, what what time is out there? Like five thirty? You guys are only an hour behind us, right?
2: Um nope, it's it's six thirty three here.
0: Man, I always get fooled with that. Like you're in like all the way out in Ohio, but somehow it's the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Man, physics, physics are hard, physics are hard. <laughs> so cool, are You are uh, you working today? Or are you off today?
2: Nope, I am off today. So yeah, and then I'm back tomorrow, so.
0: Good stuff, good stuff. Just for uh, a few other people to come here. Uh, how you been liking what we're, what we've been doing so far?
2: uh yeah i think so far so far it's been pretty it's been pretty neat um yeah i think i mean i think in like general uh probably yeah i think i think i like how the i don't know i i think like that so, like, the, the whole, like, heaven and earth story, um, mm. I just think it's a, I just think it's a good story. And it just makes a lot of sense. Like, um, it's really helpful, um, uh, to under, to understand it. Um, especially, like, the, like, the last week one. I think that was, I think that was, like, pretty helpful. Uh, talking about the grace, uh, yeah, it was like the grace thing, I think. Yeah, we talked about like the grace thing. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I, I thought I thought it was like I I think it's like pretty helpful. I, I'm glad I'm glad to like. It's always fun to have like those like, um, I guess like those like back roots, um, mm. or like those 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 roots where it's like. Uh, You know, like, what was it like back then? Uh, It was like this back then, and this is how they thought. And, uh, yeah. Like, that's just important. I think it's important to, like, know that. uh, You know. It puts a lot of things in place.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, the back end of stuff is always really cool. I always like getting the scriptures, like, reframed for me. It's like, oh, I thought I knew this. Oh, man, I, I knew nothing. Like, (laughs) <laughs> Not like yeah. nothing, you know what I mean, but it's like it just helps you just it gets that shift, you know.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, is this uh uh well I know cause like we talked about the grace thing. I don't know like like at some point like we gonna talk about like the like uh like the salvation thing. Uh, like how Paul thought about that
0: yeah uh I, I think Paul would probably say salvation uh would have you know saved for the new creation you know like uh for the now and the not yet that that's the way I think uh Paul would frame it um but you know yeah salvation is defi- definitely something that I think lots of people have been arguing over for for a uh, very very long time. <laughs> you know so i don't know if if uh, we'll be able to necessarily bring super clarity to it i mean I, I hope i hope we can i hope we have uh but um you know i think one of the things we'll, we'll learn with paul we might actually cover this today a lot of a lot of things kind of paul just says um he just kind of makes an offhanded comment where this was obviously like months of study that he probably did with a group of people and he's mm-hmm. kind of He's kind of just like referencing it, Um, you know, so that can make Paul difficult in one sense. But as we see, like with the with the whole narrative that we're looking at, you know, in terms do you mean like in terms of salvation of like like what happens when I die or like what's the point of Christianity?
2: Or, yeah, kind of like kind of like like what it. I guess kind of like what it is because it's like used in like so many different ways. Like this is what it means. Like, you know, like you go to heaven when you die or you're forgiven, but I have like thoughts about it, Uh, you know, but like it's just used in so many like different ways, you know, so.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. So we'll see, like, you know, if at the end of it, if you feel like, you know, I I still would, would want to know more about that, maybe that maybe that's something for a round table we could do. Uh, you know, or we could you know, we could study a book out in the future. Something like that. You know, um are you an are you an NT Wright fan as well? I know I have you guys reading reading some NT Wright books.
2: Uh I me, mean, yeah, I guess I like N T right. I mean Yeah. Yeah. I think I, honestly I probably think I, I I think like a lot of times like I always like listen to like, you know, like Richard Rohr stuff. Uh, yep. But I know that's like more like, that's more like, like the, uh, like the mystic side. Sure. Um, but yeah. Gotcha.
0: Yeah. yeah we're, we're just having a conversation here about David about uh, salvation and um, w- what salvation. So, you know, it's obviously a topic that's, you know, totally been settled. No, Nobody argues about this. Ever, you know, uh, very simple thing to talk about. <laughs> uh, but I mentioned N.T. Wright because uh, his book, Surprised by Hope, I think, was, was very like influential for me and kind of understanding all that thing. And he likes to say the Bible doesn't really say much about like what happens after you die. The Bible concerns itself more with life after life after death. So I think, you know, if salvation is anything, it it's more of of that it's the present reality we get to live in now and it's the future hope of you know everything being made new uh when jesus returns so you know that that that's what i would say would be my short answer for salvation but dave how's it going over there in a rainy staten island
1: i'm doing all right i'm doing all right uh had a few little little technical difficulties getting in today
0: oh, but, no but i no, made no. it yeah i'm glad you're here i'm glad you're here was it uh, the StreamYard app? Was, was that fine?
1: No. Uh, the, the StreamYard app, app uh, um, website is fine. It's, it was me figuring out what the actual location, because um, usually when you send me a message, it appears on my, on my Mac as well. And I just click on that, and it, and it takes me right in. The message wasn't, wasn't appearing on Mac. It was appearing on my phone, Uh-oh. but not on my computer. And I'm not really sure why.
0: That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah.
1: I tried to re-forward it to myself and all that. I, I don't know. We'll, I'll figure it out.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes technology, you know, you know, be, being solo here, doing it without Patty. I'm like, how does she make it look so smooth? Like bringing the window over here and that. And I have like a two screen setup here. I have my iPad going. I have my my. Laptop. I guess I need more screens. I don't know. Andre, are you a tech guy? Do you like having like? Do you have? I feel like you have like multiple screens or something like that in, in your home.
2: <laughs> uh, I mean, how Are we
0: saying? Was that a good guess? Is that is that what you have? Do You game or anything?
2: Um, yeah, not really too often. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'll play some stuff, but it, it, it's been a while. Uh, I feel like I go through periods where I play something, and then yeah, I might not play for like I don't know weeks or months. Yeah, I guess it just depends. So I feel like I go through these like little I don't know little spurts sometimes.
0: I hear you, man. I hear you. I haven't I haven't really gotten a, a good game experience in a while. All right, guys, but uh, let's get into it. We're already ten minutes in here. Um, And we still have not talked about anything that we're doing. So let's just dive right in, Uh, in case you're just tuning in, in case you have just uh, come to visit us spontaneously, maybe accidentally. You're like, what are these people doing here? Summer of Scripture. Tell me more. Well, I will. So what to expect? We have our Sunday seminar, which is what we're doing uh, pretty much right now. 630 to 8, we kind of go into Paul. We've been talking about Paul. trying to make Paul... Again, trying to make the whole, uh, you know, really get to know him a little bit better. So it's been a lot of fun. Uh, we are doing some summer reading, and we're also doing some, some scripture journaling. Um, so it's been it's been a lot of fun. We are on week eight. This is our part five of Ephesians. When I first conceived this class, I thought surely by part five we'd be on a, we'd be on chapter five. We're still not out of chapter two, so we're really been having. Uh, A lot of fun here going through everything. And no one reminded me last week, but I forgot to assign reading. So if you have your book, How God Became King, uh, you should be up to chapter five. We're going to go two more chapters in. We're going to do six and seven. That'll bring us out of part two. And then from there, um, you know, our final times together, we'll be finishing that book. Um, Your commentary, Paul... For everyone, the prison letters, that's something that if you wanted to get on your own, you kind of be going through Ephesians and really all the prison letters. It's a great little commentary by N.T. Wright. It's been an N.T. Wright summer. We have our scripture journals. Hopefully you've had a good chance to get into it and, you know, take some notes as we're going through all this together. If not, it's just a great, it's just a great resource to have. Uh, I'm a big fan of these books. You can get them. This one, you know, as you can see, it's just a single book, one one letter, to the Ephesians by Paul. Uh, It's nice. You get for every page of scripture, you get a page, just a blank page where you can just write your notes and you can do some some really cool study, some really cool stuff. So I highly recommend you guys get that if you are looking for it. And as always, please consider supporting us on Patreon so we can do even more great things like this, have more classes, have more discussions, more round tables. Maybe we can do a deep dive on salvation Uh, I think that'd be a great topic to talk about. What has salvation been to different church groups throughout history? And, you know, and biblically, what what does that mean? So I think that'd be a really cool thing to look at and to study out together. All right. So as I said before, this is our deep dive into Ephesians. This is our part five. We're trying to get our way out of chapter two. So that should be lots of fun if we're able to do that we'll see how, how we do okay awesome so i'm getting some type of echo I want to see Maybe. oh okay good now we're good awesome so ephesians part five so just some things in review we want to remember we want to recall from what we've talked about before that ephesians is basically uh, an apocalypse right Chapters 1 through 3, which we'll hopefully get out of today, is Paul's, you know, prayer or, or Paul's apocalypse. Paul is helping us to comprehend the apocalypse. And the back end of Ephesians 4 through 6 is us responding to that apocalypse. Now that we've had it, what should be our response to it, right? So we're looking, we're looking at the macro here for chapters 1 through 3 chapters one through three, uh, remember it's a big chiastic structure, which you know is very, very interesting to look at. Um, you know, Again, when you're looking for these structures, you're looking for key repeating words or ideas, or sometimes like counter ideas, as we'll see in one of the chiasms that we look today. Um, we've kind of been going through the front end of Ephesians one through three, where there's a the victory song, there's a prayer, there's two narratives, and in the center is Jesus, That we'll get to today, hopefully, and on the back end coming out of that, there's another narrative, another prayer, and another short song of praise. Uh, We talked about Paul's conception of this age or now and the age to come or the not yet. And how this age is characterized by evil, sin, death, slavery to the powers, violence, and being under a curse. Right? Earth. This is the state of earth right now. And then we have the age to come. Uh, that hope for justice, love, life, freedom, shalom, or rest and blessing, right? And this is a very Jewish idea. Uh, but in a Jewish conception of this, what people were expecting as they read through the scriptures was there would be an age and then there would be some type of cataclysmic change. And then there would be the age to come. There'd be a very quick transition. There'd be a before and after. But what happened in Jesus, right, is that Jesus kind of is a piece of the future, a piece of the age to come that invaded the present, invaded this age, did not automatically consume all of creation, although there is a hope for return when Jesus comes. Again, in the Hebrew Scriptures, it's called the Day of the Lord, and this was expected to be something that would be intense. This was expected to be something that would be like a big major event, armies coming together against other armies, uh, the world being made new. Uh, But what was confusing... And this is part of the thing that kind of melted Paul's brain, as we talked about when he had the apocalypse, when he met the risen Jesus, is that you had Jesus, who was clearly a piece of new creation, right? But he, God had not made all things new. God had not completely made everything um, right. We talked about Paul's worldview. You can see this big diagram here. We've gone through it um, on an earlier one of these seminars more in depth. Paul's assumed worldview, most people just assume the point of Christianity is, here's me, I'm a sinner, I want to be saved from my sins, so because of Jesus' death and resurrection, uh, depending on what I believe or don't believe, I'm going to get to go to heaven, or, you know, I'm going to go to hell. That's what most people would say uh, probably Christianity is, Uh, but, all right, today's plan. We're going to be reviewing the powers, which is a fun thing to talk about. Um, we're going to try and do it in 20 minutes or less. So wish me luck. We're going to go through, uh, chapter two, 11 through 22. That's the that second narrative. So the first narrative was kind of from the cosmic perspective, all of humanity, all of, all of heaven, all the powers under this curse, uh, under death. Right. And what Messiah, Messiah's victory did. Right. The second narrative is focuses on, in, on the covenant people of God and the nations, and how the Messiah kind of brought them together, Uh, the Messiah did bring them together, and Jesus in the center. So that narrative kind of flows in together. And then chapter three, we're just going to bang it out uh, as long as we, you know, we get through all this on time. If not, we'll do chapter three next week. That's no problem. So the powers. So we talked a little bit last week about the powers when we ended our Sunday seminar. So, this is a great example, I think, of you know, it's something that you can read in Paul uh, over and over and over again, and you never just, you never really see it, right? Uh, Until it's kind of pointed out to you that, hey, Paul seems to really be talking about these things that, you know, my modern brain doesn't necessarily have any, you know, any categories for. You know, it's all over the New Testament and the Old Testament. Especially the Old Testament, when you learn to spot it, uh, there you know there seems to be like this overlap between a heavenly space and an earthly space, and it seems to happen all over the place. Like think about Jacob and his dream, right? He saw he saw some type of ladder, some type of stair, or some type of temple, right? Something where he saw you know spiritual beings ascending and descending, and he's like, you know, how, how amazing this place! I had no idea this was a very you know gateway to heaven you know, and he erected a pillar um, to commemorate that experience. Uh, When God was going into Egypt, right, he was going to judge the gods of Egypt, which is kind of strange when you think about, well, you know, I don't believe in gods of Egypt necessarily. Does that mean God was like pretending to fight with like someone who was like imaginary, an imaginary uh, thing out there? Or was there some type of reality that God was, was was talking to? Like, you know, he was not necessarily going against Pharaoh, not necessarily going against the Egyptians. He was going to judge the gods of Egypt. Um, There seems to be some type of overlap between, you know, these heavenly powers, these things and, you know, earthly realities, some type of component of social justice or social injustice. Uh, This heaven and earth overlapping, they're influencing each other somehow. This is an extremely deep rabbit hole. This is something that we could probably do a whole class about, uh, but we're not. We mentioned some resources last week. Michael Heisner, get all those books. They're amazing. Uh, Definitely worth your time. Podcasts as well. Uh, And the Bible Project as well did a a deep dive into spiritual beings. They have both a video series on this and they have, I think, eight or nine hours of podcasts, Uh, I think eight or nine episodes or something like that that you can really get into and do it and do a deep dive on that. So real quick, um, let's take a look into Ephesians and let's see some of Paul, let's quickly just go through Paul referencing these powers and then we'll kind of we'll take it from there. So Ephesians 1 20 through 21 Christ is seated at God's right hand In the heavenly realm, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Not only in this age, but also in the age to come. So again, this is something that I remember when I was first, you know, my first experiences, my first run throughs of Ephesians. I just assumed, you know, power was like, you know, the government or something like that. But here Paul seems to be, you know, combining it somehow. There's a heavenly realm, right? Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. Not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Ephesians 2, 2, this is what kind of prompted our discussion. Uh, Last week, the age of this world, the ruler of the authority of the air, the spirit who is now working among the sons of disobedience. So this is, again, strange. Who is this ruler of the authority of the air? What does that even mean? It's not a common, it's not really a phrase that's used anywhere else in the Bible except here. Uh, Ephesians 3:10, the rulers and authorities in that heavenly realm, right. So Paul makes it there. in um, Ephesians 6:12. not flesh and blood, but the rulers, authorities, the cosmic powers of this present darkness, the evil spiritual beings in the heavenly realms. So as we'll see as we kind of get on the back end of Ephesians on our way out, right kind of the ultimate conclusion to Ephesians in chapter 6. Uh, the enemy is never another human being, right? It's these strange heavenly powers, cosmic powers, right, of this present darkness. These evil spiritual beings, spiritual beings, and somehow in rebellion against God, right? So this is something that, you know, it's very it's very interesting. Um, it's not something that Paul just touches on just in Ephesians. He kind of, if you know once you learn to spot it, it's all over his letters. It's in Colossians, Galatians, First Corinthians, and Romans, right? We'll just you know we can even just read through a few of them. In Colossians two verse fifteen, it says, "After disarming the rulers and authorities, he exposed them to publish public shame, triumphing over them in the Messiah." right. Colossians 1, 15 through 16, all things were created in him, things in heavens and things on earth, the visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So, you know, you can even go to Galatians 4, 8 through 9, you were enslaved to what by nature were not gods, the weak and impoverished elementary powers, so there's something, there's something there that has some type of power. And we have somehow become enslaved to it. You can even back up into Galatians 4.3. We were enslaved under the elemental powers of the cosmos. Go skip to Romans. Neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor the present, nor the future, nor powers, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Messiah Jesus our Lord. So Paul has again a very detailed view here. he has a very you know specific architecture in his brain when he's thinking about these things that you know he calls by various names we're not summarizing here calling it the powers uh, but it just seems to be some type of heavenly reality that has somehow has influence, has power over human beings, um, the ruler of the you know spirit of the air, right? That's kind of like it's here there's some there's some type of some type of personality something behind all of this uh, you know interestingly enough you know even talking about devil and Satan right uh, these are not necessarily names although sometimes they're used as if you know it, this is an actual person. Uh, the devil would mean literally the slanderer or some you know someone who who slanders uh, you to God you know you can think about job, right that role there or you can think about uh, the satan right the one opposed. so these are not necessarily proper names so when you see them used in the bible you shouldn't be thinking of a specific person you should be thinking of more of like this is like this is a title right like for instance in 1 Thessalonians 2:18 you could read it we desire to come to you uh, but satan hindered us or you could read, we desire to come to you, but the one opposed or the adversary hindered us. So it's not necessarily a specific person necessarily. Um, you could think of it more as a title, you know, with possib- possibly uh, multiple beings taking on some of those roles. That uh, saying that that is, we're not going to go too deeply into it, just something just to point out as we go through it. Uh, Romans 16, 20, the God of peace is soon to crush Satan under all of y'all's, all of you uh, feet, all of y'all feet, right? So again, that could read the God of peace is soon to crush the adversary or the one opposed under all of your feet, which so just something to think about there. Uh, so this is something that's backed up even in the wider New Testament, so this is not just Paul's idea. This is something that, you know, the gospel authors as well would also agree about, agree on. Right. So it's, it's there too. So, you know, you think about, remember Paul's writings being the earliest writings that we have of Christianity and we covered in the beginning. So we you know we're looking at something here that where, you know, years later when they eventually wrote down the gospels, uh, these are things that people, people agreed with. Uh, so, we can look at real quick. We'll look at these John 1231. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast outside. Or you go right to 1242. Nevertheless, even many of the rulers believed in Jesus. So you know it's it's interesting if you think about well, who is this ruler that was cast outside? Is this is this Pilate? Is this Rome? Uh, You know, it seems to be, you know, there seems to be some overlap here between Paul and the author of John. Let's look at Luke, Luke 22, 52 to 53. Jesus said to the ruling priests and commanders of the temple and the elders, this is your hour and the authority of darkness. You know, talking about, you know, Jesus is about to die. This is your hour. Right, speaking to the priests, the commanders uh, of the temple and the elders. This is your hour and the authority of darkness. So again, that seems to be you know similar language here to what Paul is using. Uh, we can go to Romans, let's go to Romans 13, 1. Let every person submit themselves to the governing governing authorities, and then you skip over to back rather to Romans 8, uh, 38 through 39. Yes, that's where we should have we should have parked. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in the Messiah Jesus our Lord. So, when you kind of stack all these together, you have the authors of the New Testament, the Gospel authors rather. They seem to be using similar language, or they have a sim- similar architecture set in their head that Paul does. So. Here are just some cool things to look at, right? So take a quick look at it. My screen is not playing nice. All right, cool. We did that. We did that. Thank you. All right, some parallel realities, heavenly and earthly, right? The powers seem to, they have existence in heaven and on earth and there's some type of Parallel overlap, divine and human. In some cases, it seems like they're divine. Sometimes they're human. There's some type of architecture they have in their brain where those things don't necessarily contradict. Spiritual, but yet at the same time political. These are spiritual realities, yet they somehow influence political realities. Governments, uh, you know, any type of political organization. Thinking even of a church or a company or you know a group of people together. Uh, invisible, right? But yet there is some type of structure to it. It produces something which, you know, can manifest in the physical realm. Colossians 1.16, things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible. So just something there for us to look at. All right. So we're going to skip this. Uh, You can do a deep dive and you can kind of get a whole bunch of terms in what, you know, Paul has done. These, these will of course be in the slide deck, in the mighty networks. If anyone listening at home would like to get your hands on that, that's no problem. I can send that over to you. Just DM me and I will, you know, give you access as well to these slide decks. That's not a problem. Okay. So there are a few key texts that we're not necessarily going to go into. Uh, but these are good things for you to do deep study on your own. First Corinthians, uh, Two six to eight Romans eight thirty five to thirty nine and Ephesians well we're doing that now uh, twenty through twenty three to kind of get a sense of these powers all right so some key understanding here powers spiritual beings invested in the political ethnic religious gender and socioeconomic structures their purpose seems to be to divide humanity to divide humanity by tribes, uh, assigning value to some and, you know, assigning less of value to others. Uh, defeated by Jesus, but yet somehow still present. So you have this idea of two ages. So even though they've been defeated, they, they do still seem to be here. So that's kind of like an overview of the powers according to according to Paul. Uh any, any questions on that real quick? Guys, feel free to uh, unmute yourself. I might have to do that. All right, go for it guys. No question. Nope, I think that makes sense. Thinks it make makes sense. Cool. So awesome. So you know, if we had more time, we would kind of go into okay, what, what are the roots of this? But this is a very Jewish idea. This is an idea that goes back even to you know the beginning of of the Bible. Really, uh, they they were there. If you if you turn with me to Genesis one, uh, we'll look at that real quick. Uh, then God said, "Let there be lights." in the dome of the skies to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years and let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on earth. And it was was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule the day and the night. And to separate the light from the darkness. So me, you know, as a, as a person who loves science, if you guys know me, I love astronomy. That's kind of my jam. Uh, you know, I read that and I just hear, all right, cool. God made God made the stars, right? We have to remember, you know, how old this book is, and when they're, you know, when an ancient reader is reading this, they're not just they're not just seeing stars up in heavens. They're not just seeing giant balls of gas, right, and nuclear fusion nuclear f- fusion, uh, furnaces, right. They're seeing, they're seeing spiritual beings. They're seeing these things that are way up there and we're down here and they're seeing things that like, you know, they think of those things as having power, you know? So in the story of the Bible, you know, in Genesis, right in the opening pages, even before God makes, you know, humanity, he makes these things and he gives them authority and God is going to give authority to a parallel creature right? Which is us, humanity, later on when he makes when he makes units. So that's something to think about. And if you go to Genesis 2, 1, uh, thus the skies and the land were completed with all of their hosts, okay? Kind of leaving off the first creation story, going into the second creation story. Here it is right in the beginning, the host of heaven. You can go through the book of Psalms, And it's hard not to trip over these things. They seem, they're all over the book of Psalms. Um, We go to Psalm 136, seven through nine. To him who made great lights, for his loving kindness is everlasting. The sun to rule the day, for his loving kindness is everlasting. The moon and the stars to rule the night, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And let's go finally to Deuteronomy four, verse 19. You know, there was a danger here of, you know, people worshiping these things so that you don't, in verse 19, so that you don't lift your eyes to the heavens and see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of the heavens, and be led astray and worship them and serve them. The ones whom Yahweh, your God, designated for all the nations under the heavens, but you, Yahweh, has taken... And he brought you out of the iron furnace of Egypt to be a people inheritance for himself. So this is sometimes hidden uh, in your English translations. This idea of God selecting a people as his inheritance and kind of what's being left there is kind of this worldview that the nations, right? They were kind of given to these powers and these powers were given some type of authority over them. Uh, But what these powers have done, right, is if you think about, you know, even the snake in the garden, you know, obviously snakes don't talk, you know, the first people in the the audience would have known this, the original audience. Uh, There seems to be, you know, some type of rebel creature, uh, rebel spiritual being is overlap. Eden is a place where heaven and earth over overlap. So this is a very Jewish idea. This idea of these spiritual forces and they have some type of power over humanity. And what Jesus did in his you know his life death resurrection uh is somehow disarmed the powers, defeated the powers although those powers are still here. And hopefully we'll get to to some of that today as well. So let's have a let's have a quick talk. Let's have a quick discussion. What evidence do you see of the powers at work today dividing up humanity along these various lines? Do you feel like the powers, you know, are alive and well today?
2: Yeah, I I probably would say so. Uh, Seems like a lot of discourse going on today. Yeah. Uh, Everybody likes to fight each other uh, over, like, some, some opinion, so, some something, uh, I feel like we can, like, I feel like, you know, like, we can kind of, like, pick, like, sides, so it's almost Mm -hmm. like somebody's Mm -hmm. opinion has to be better than somebody else's opinion, uh, you know, and it's like, yeah, and then, and then it's just a lot of discourse, you know, so, yeah, yeah, I would say, I would say there's there's definitely something, something going on. <laughs> definitely something.
1: Dave,
0: you have any, you have any thoughts?
1: Yeah. Uh, I think that it there definitely is something at play here. I mean, even when you, when you've had a chance, like I have to speak to people who are on opposite sides of political spectrum and especially, hmm. um, you know, they, everybody always seems to agree with the idea of um, but, but we can work together, we should be able to work together, we should be able to put these things past us, yet we never really do. And it right. just seems like if they're both sides are, are both willing, and they're both, that's their, that's their goal. And yet not being able to to make it happen, it just seems like something else is at play here.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I think this is something it's it's very interesting. too. I think it, it can make a lot of you know, modern readers of the Bible, a little bit twitchy, a little bit uncomfortable. This idea of, you know, supernatural beings, powers and play in the world stage. But, you know, it does seem to be like, there's something, right? There seems to be something happening um, where even in the best of situations, people just really can't seem to get along. You know, like I'm a big fan of technology. I love the story of, you know, startup companies. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Google. You know, I think that they've done you know great things in, in the world. You know, I remember back, you know, back in the day, even in high school, wanting to know more things about the world and about science and about religion. And you know, I, I would always have to go to this this place that maybe some of our, our younger viewers have never heard of, this place called the the library, right? Where I would actually have to try and look this stuff up. And if, even if I found an article or something in there database right i'd have to print it out and it would make all this noise like thing, 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 and print it print that on this paper and i have to like tear off the holes on the side and you know we're already losing people who are watching at home because they're like they don't they don't want to hear this old guy speak uh, but it was it was very very hard to find information and now it's like i was just thinking about this other day i just typed i was just i was just curious like romans they seem to get a bad rap in the bible like were they really all that brutal? Was it really all that bad being an average Roman citizen? And I found a whole bunch of great resources in a matter of seconds. Uh, but you know, one of Google's uh, founding principles, founding values, is don't do evil, <laughs> You know, which I think is, is very interesting. Uh, because in one sense, while there's a lot of great things that come along with things like search engines like Google, the internet, uh, you know, they know everything about you, <laughs> you know, there is no such thing as privacy anymore. And so in, in a sense, like, you know, it can be very controlling. It can be a way for advertisers to, you know, feed you things that you want to see. I've been thinking about getting um, uh, a Jeep. Like I know my friend Dave is getting a Jeep soon, right, Dave? Yep. Dave's excited about that. Well, me and Patty have been thinking about a while of doing a Jeep with a Jeep rooftop camper, like one of those things. Oh, that's cool. So we started looking at some videos for it. And now on my Facebook feed, I'm getting ads for Jeeps. I'm getting ads for Root So, you know, Big Brother, in a sense, is always watching. So I think even, you know, the heart of Google, the heart of the internet was to spread knowledge, spread information. Uh, but sometimes, you know, I would like maybe a little bit more privacy, a little bit more control and all that stuff. But yeah, so even in, when groups of people get together, even in the best intentions, sometimes things go horribly wrong. Uh, In Paul's letters, he seems especially concerned with these powers where they come to divisions in the church, right? All of his letters are kind of like, you know, he he talks about unity uh, and that kind of the shadow force that is kind of trying. It's almost like a physical force of nature trying to drive people apart, right? Could be these powers, right? It was talked about before. It's very common in Paul's letters for him to be talking about it. In what way is there evidence of the powers being alive and well in our own church traditions or in the church globally, church history as a whole? What do you guys think?
1: Hmm. I, I remember having a conversation with you, Jimmy. I, um, I think it was through a conversation. It might've been through a podcast. It just feels like I was having a conversation with you. And, uh, and, you mentioned something about how many different uh, divisions there are in, in Christianity, how many sects mm. there are in, uh, in Christianity. And it was something like 1,500 different. Uh, am I right? Does that number sound?
0: Depends on the way you count. 30,000? Uh, 30,000
1: 30, different. Yeah. Uh, and they're all essentially based on the same principle that Jesus is the son of, of, of God. Right. Uh and so you think with something as powerful as that it, that creates such unity, uh it you know, we wouldn't have thirty what is it, thirty thousand different <laughs> different sects. So uh you know, even if you uh even when you speak to people who aren't really uh church goers, um and you know, you'll listen to comedians or or uh, there's they'll talk about going to a black church or they're go to going to go mm-hmm. a white church. Um, even if they don't know the different, different sects, it, they just, there's still division that people can see, um, you know, driving around through the Bible belt, there was like how many churches we would go through. And it's a Baptist church. It's a Protestant church. It's this church. It's that church. And it's just about, you know, there are divisions and obviously there are not to mention, you know, the race issue or even, um, church where the rich people go or the church mm-hmm. where the not so rich get to go. You know, it, there's just divisions everywhere.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I think, you know, a lot of times like arguments over doctrine can, you know, kind of fracture people. I remember um, looking at one diagram of like church history and even, even seeing like they, they had like, you know, everything really nice, well laid out. It was like the big tree. Uh, You know, everything kind of had its own branch. I was able to find, you know, Stone Campbell, kind of like where we come out of, you know, and uh, the Churches of Christ and all all that fun stuff. And then I noticed in the bottom of the diagram, there were like these pieces of like wood. And it was like Mormons, (laughs) you know, it was like a whole bunch. So even in whoever wrote that diagram, they were like, there there are some people that we don't even we don't even consider them part of our tree, you know, because they're just crazy. You know, so I think that's something uh, to think about too. It's like, you know, what, what is dividing us? Is it really doctrine? Is it really like these things that we make it about? Oh, like, you know, that's not a real church. They're not really Christian. I kind of question them a little bit. They're not really a Bible church. Um, You know, I used to, I used to say, you know, many, many bad things about my Catholic brothers and sisters where I felt like they weren't a real church. Um, They didn't really take all this stuff seriously. That you know now I've kind of I've reevaluated you know a lot of that and been like well what really makes us so different what really makes us you know apart when you know I think Jesus and Paul would have wanted us all together um, so cool have you guys ever s- experienced anything where, you, where you've kind of felt like oh what why aren't we more united why aren't we more together with these other groups and you guys just talk about you know. Anything where you know people tried to kind of bridge some of those gaps?
1: I don't, I don't, can't think of anything off the top of my head as to, uh, yeah, uh, dealing with, with that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Do you guys think like you know, according to Paul, this is probably like a, a really big deal. <laughs> us all being unified?
2: Yeah. I think so. Yeah. yeah. When, I, when I, like, think about, like, I don't know, I feel like when I think about, like, you know, like, the Christ thing, uh, you know, like, I don't know, I think about Christ as, like, a unifying thing, you know, mm-hmm. like, he's, like, the unifier. So, when, when I think about that, I'm, like, all things like unite in this one thing. And so it's like, it, it would make sense, you know what I mean? For like everything to like work together. Um, yeah. yeah. So it seems like it's pretty important, you know, especially like that thing where like Paul was like the wall, you know, like there was this wall and then the wall was broken down. And it was Christ that broke the wall down. So it's like, yeah, yeah. Christ is the unifier. Christ is, you know, the thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it it seems like that. Yeah, hopefully we'll talk more about that uh, today. So cool, guys. That was kind of uh, us going over the powers. I know we only really dipped our toe in it. Um, It really is a great topic. Maybe that's something we can do. It'd kind of be cool to do it for like Halloween or October, you know, kind of talking about these these shadowy figures and, you know, these types of stuff. So maybe we'll do a podcast on that or some type of deeper dive at some point, some Halloween, probably not this Halloween coming up. All right, so now we're going to be uh, hopefully closing out Ephesians chapter two. So as we kind of get into the second narrative that we were looking at here, remember we went from a cosmic point of view, uh to you know the covenant people of God. Um remember one through three comprehending the apocalypse and as we as we leave Ephesians four through six uh we'll be responding to having an apocalypse and the whole thing is in again a chiastic structure um kind of bookending it at the beginning and the end of chapters one through three is a song, right? We have a song uh to the father, son, spirit, and at, at the end we have a, a song to the father and the son. Uh, And then the second level is two prayers, right? There's a prayer for an apocalypse of power, right? And then there is a prayer at the end, which we'll get into. And then we have those narratives. We have the two narratives. We're going to finish number two narrative now. And then we have another narrative on the way out. And in the center is Jesus. So it's all nice. It's the chiastic structure, Uh, you know, seems to be intentional. Sometimes I wonder, I don't know if anyone's ever done work on this. I don't know if this was like, originally a device to aid memorization, like, okay, I have a song, I have a prayer, I have a few stories, then I have Jesus in the center, I can remember that. And, you know, but I also think they're really useful structurally to kind of see what the author was kind of talking about. But, you know, so yeah, we just talked about that. So independently, however, Ephesians 11 through 18, which is the second narrative and 19 to 22, which is was Jesus, Jesus in the center of chapters one through three, they also make their own kind of chiastic structure, which is, it's very, very interesting. It's very interesting to look at. Uh, so this is kind of the structure that we're going to be looking at here. We're looking at, at an A, B, C, D, 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 C, B, A, right? And we're we're going to, don't worry. We have a nice kind of like thing that we can look at there where we can kind of, get all into it we can get all nerdy right so a uh, therefore let's read this in the esv and then we'll uh, we'll dissect it a little bit so let's go to verse 11 in ephesians chapter 2 okay therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Now you can kind of follow along the chiastic structure if you want on the screen. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in him. You also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. So let's, let's break this down here. Let's look at, look, look at some stuff here. So I did a whole color coordination for you guys. So you guys can kind of see uh, some of the key words that should be jumping out at you to kind of like, you know, point out some of this chiastic structure for you. So in, in verse, in A, right? 11, we have in the flesh, you Gentiles in the flesh uh, by the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. And you go down to 20 to 22, we have, instead of it being in the flesh, it's in it's in the Lord, it's by the spirit or in the spirit, right? So there's some type of book ending going on here. And then in our Bs, right? We have, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And you go down to verse 19 and you see, so then you are no longer strangers or aliens. It gets reversed, but you are fellow citizens with the saints or holy ones. Remember, we have to remember that translation. When we read saints, we're not thinking a stained glass window or depending on the tradition you're coming out of. Uh, tradition I'm I'm coming out of, or I'm part of, uh, you know, I think typically we would think of saints as, oh, that just means Christian. When you read saints, you want to hear Christian. But remember the way Paul's using it, the way Paul would have used it, checking his source, right? That would have been Israel or it would have been spiritual beings who did not rebel, right? So the holy ones and members of the household of God. So it gets reversed. Instead of being without God, now you're members of the household of God. Getting to see. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. And going to the other scene, verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. So they were far off and they were near. They've been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he's our peace. You know, now he's preaching peace to those who are far off and peace to those who were near. So this is bringing together. And then if we go into the center, right? our these, right? Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace. So there was, there was two, both. He's made one, and there's this hostility that's been broken down, right? This dividing wall. We'll talk more about that in a second. And he has this this strange phrase, the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. And if you go to your logical flow translation, I like the way um, Tim Mackey kind of translated that for us in verse 15, page nine of that one, 15, 15. Nope, that is not, and I feel like I lost it. Uh, but the Torah, he calls it the Torah of why can't I find it? Oh, because I'm in, I'm, I was already had, it. I was in chapter three, so we're looking more at page seven having set aside the Torah of commandments and decrees. So, I, I really like that phrase as well, something to keep in mind because we're going to talk about what, what does he mean by that? And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So that that's kind of like how you would, you would go through and you would kind of, you know, go through all this. Now, if you're a modern Christian, uh, you know, like, like myself, I guess, you know, we're all modern Christians, or if you come out of a similar background that I come out of, it, it can kind of make your head spin for a second. You're like, wait a minute, who or what exactly died on the cross, right? Uh, the obvious answer is Jesus. And yes, of course, Jesus died on the cross. We're not Gnostics, uh, right? However, this is not really Paul's main point of view here. He's talking about this thing, this hostility died on the cross. That was That's like the exciting thing for Paul as he's talking. Somehow this hostility got killed. And he mentions these two strange things. Uh, this dividing wall of hostility, what is this? And this law of commandments expressed in ordinances. So this is something that we have to talk about for a second. What did Paul mean by this, right? So he has this concept of this dividing wall of hostility. And this is something else that, you know, many people have expressed many, many different views uh, of what this could have been. Some people would say, oh, it was, you know, the veil in the temple that was torn in two, you know, we see that in uh, the Gospels, right? Where the, in Luke it was kind of torn in half. Maybe that was it. Uh, some people have suggested that there's this low wall. So here is a scale model of the temple uh, back in the day. Uh, this is the second temple. And if you can kind of see a little bit, like if you go to the left side of the temple, you can kind of see this line that kind of stretches down right here. We'll kind of we'll try and zoom in it a little more. You can see here is on both sides of the temple, right? And we've actually found, well, not we, meaning meaning like me, but like, you know, archaeologists archaeologists have have found these, right? And they call it it was called a balustrade, which is kind of a cool uh, thing to call. I'm gonna call the fence outside my house for now on the balustrade because uh, I just think that's cool. But it has a, a really cool. Uh, thing written on it, right? And I'll I'll get that for you guys. I I think it's just it's so cool to think about. Uh, On it, it says, there's an inscription that says, no stranger is to enter within the balustrade around the temple and enclosure. Whoever is caught will be himself responsible for his own ensuing death. So this low wall, right, you could probably step over it. Uh, the, this kind of like segmented out what was called the court of the Gentiles. So this place, you know, Gentiles could come, all the nations could come, and they could come and they could worship God. They could, they could pray to God. Uh, they could be in his presence. But they weren't allowed to pass this, this wall right here, right? Uh, if you were a Jew, you can go right in right? You can go inside, you can go into the the court, right? Uh, and if you were a man, you could walk up those steps where you would meet the high priest, kind of at this first little door here, this big building that was the temple proper, right? You can go to this door over here and you can meet the priest and you can offer a sacrifice. Uh, and the priest would take your sacrifice back to the temple proper and, uh, you know, deal with that sacrifice according to whatever type of sacrifice it was that you were you were bringing so some, some people have suggested that this wall of hostility was was this was this wall that would have kept the gentiles away from being in God's presence now you problems with this view right one of one of the views one of the problems of this is that the temple still stood when Paul was writing this So, you know, unless you kind of subscribe to a later date of Ephesians, and this is another reason why maybe some people have been before, oh, Ephesians, you know, wasn't written by Paul. Maybe whoever wrote it took some fragments of some things Paul had written, some unfinished letters, and kind of stitched them all together, Uh, you know. But I'm probably saying here now I subscribe to, you know, Paul wrote this. Um, Let's just say uh, probably, probably couldn't have been the case, right? Uh, but another deep cut here does anyone know why Jesus was so upset when he went to the temple that time and he, he started whipping people and he started overturning tables? Anyone know why? Yeah,
2: wasn't it uh wasn't it because like they weren't they like in the place of the Gentiles and so it was almost like it was stopping the Gentiles from worshiping God.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So the idea is, you know, a, a reader of the gospel at the time would have known that, you know, this, this is what Jesus, this is where Jesus was, where it's something that's kind of just lost to us modern readers when we don't understand the context. There would have been a need for people to be able to purchase things to sacrifice because, you know, they could have been coming from a very long distance. Uh, but the idea was that, you know, they had these things set up in the court of the Gentiles, and that really got Jesus upset. And he, you know, he started turning things over because of that. So it's kind of like an interesting deep deep cut. But so we're going to put that aside for a second. So then we have the law of commandments expressed in ordinances or the Torah of commandments in decrees. You know, so from the flow of thought, if you kind of think about it, I kind of put it out for you guys here. Uh, Starting in verse. uh, Let me get it on my screen so I can see a little bit better. Starting in verse 14, he himself is our peace, the one who made the two groups into one, having torn down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh, having nullified the Torah consisting of commands and decrees in order to create the two groups into one new humanity making peace. So it's clear, you know, if you really think about the context that this dividing wall of hostility and this Torah Consisting of commands and decrees, right? Or the way, you know, the ESV put it, right? Law of commandments expressed in ordinances, they're the same thing. So, this Torah, or this law of commandments expressed in ordinances, it's kind of the same thing as this wall of hostility. So, this brings us to kind of like the paradoxical role of the Torah, right? So, this could be something that could be fun to talk about because, you know, I'm a big fan of the Torah. I'm the. I'm a big fan of the Tanakh. Uh, but you know, I think on a superficial reading here of Paul, it could be, you know, someone could say things like, "Oh, well, you know, we don't need to follow that anymore. Well, that's not important anymore as the New Testament." So I think it's you know it's this will this could come up when you're talking about Ephesians. So it's important to to stop here for a second and discuss a little bit. So Paul is obviously. Uh, talking in brief about something that he, again, he probably would have spent a long time talking about, you know, and he's kind of just mentioning it here offhand. He does go into more detail in Romans seven through eight, right? Romans seven is kind of the famous uh, sin scripture, you know, where it's like the sinful nature, uh, you know, I don't do what I know I should do. uh, But, you know, in reality, it's kind of Paul discussing this issue. He's discussing the Torah and he's discussing the, the Tanakh and this paradoxal role, and his kind of you know is the Torah evil? By no means, you know this was given for good. It was given for life. Um, but what what was it in the Torah that was the problem? Um, so here's here's some two different views that I wanted to talk about with you guys. Uh, so the first view is kind of if we think about you know remembering the whole story, right? If we go back to Genesis. And I always like to say, everything basically goes goes back to Genesis 1 through 11. Or if it doesn't exactly, it goes to another passage in the Old Testament uh, somewhere that eventually works its way back to 1 through 11. So you think about the first command in 2.15, first command, don't eat of this tree, right? You have sin in the form of some snake, some type of power, right? Uh, work through that commandment. This is kind of going into Paul's dis- bigger discussion in Romans seven through eight that we're not gonna we're not gonna go through. Uh, he worked through that command um, to basically deceive Eve, right? Who took? She saw. Took she saw desired. Took and ate. Right? She took that and then she gave to her husband. That was there. So, the question always kind of comes up, but whose command? did the snake end up working through? Was it God's command or was it Adam's command? Because remember when Eve tells the snake, she's like, no, we can't We can't touch it. There day we touch it, we'll die. Uh, and that's not exactly what God said. It's not that you couldn't touch it, right? It's that you couldn't, can't eat it. You can't take and eat it. There's no problem touching it. There's a, supposedly an old story, I haven't been able to find this, uh, where, the snake kind of like grabbed the tree and like shook the tree and some fruit fell down. And then, then the snake didn't die. They called into question everything that Eve had ever thought about what she knew about God and, you know, the nature of God. These stories are very, very deep. There's a lot of stuff packed in. And there's really nothing to it. These stories, right? They're just like a few lines, but you know, books and entire libraries have been, can be filled with just people talking about these ideas uh, so there's this idea of, you know, people making a hedge around the Torah or additional commands, you know, kind of against uh, so so that you wouldn't even get near sinning. Uh, so that's an interesting question to think about. The other thing to think about is kind of the way the Jewish people thought of the Torah. They thought of the Tanakh in their day. And this is from one of uh, George... Carid's book, Carad. I'm not that sure if I'm saying his name right, uh, who's kind of like one of the most influential scholars about Paul, uh, really of the New Testament and Christian studies in general. Um, but he wrote in one of his books, Paul's Letters from Prison, this kind of gives you an idea of, you know, what what the Jews kind of thought when they thought about their Torah, or the Tanakh, and the letter of Arceus, Verse 139, we read that Moses, by the gift of the Torah, and this is kind of quoting from this ancient rabbi, had just about with impregnable ramparts and iron walls to prevent all contact with any of the other nations, and to keep up, to keep us pure in body and soul, free from futile speculations, worshiping the one Almighty God above the creation. Uh, so you have this idea of like this way of looking at the Torah or the Tanakh as this is God's gift to keep us separate from the nations. This was God's gift to protect us from being like from being like these people, you know, and uh, you can kind of see this a lot in, you know, Jesus is in, in Jesus's story in the Gospels of Jesus kind of trying to break this down. Jesus not really ceasing to be Jewish. Jewish not, Jesus not disavowing his Jewishness, right? But Jesus, in a sense, kind of breaking down this idea that having the Torah, having the Tanakh somehow makes you special or makes you better than all these, you know, Gentile, pagan, crazy nations, right? So what was meant to give life and protection, think about Isaiah 5.2, led to Israelite nationalism and hostility between Jew and and Gentile, and somehow, on the cross, Jesus killed this. <laughs> Jesus kind of took it into his body; it died there with him, and he kind of overthrew this power, right? This dividing wall of hostility. So something you know interesting to think about. Uh, you know, George Card makes a few other points too that only the annulment of the legal code could this barrier be removed? And Paul says this was done in his flesh, right? So Paul is claiming three things here. One, that Jesus deliberately drew off onto himself, the hostility between Torah observing Jews and those Gentiles whose company they avoided, right? You know, talk, think about Acts, you know, think about Paul's letters. Peter wouldn't even eat with them. He wouldn't eat with Gentile believers. Do you believe it, right? Uh, and their confrontations over that. And a lot of Paul's letters kind of being like, no, guys, this is, this is the whole point of the whole story. We're all supposed to be together. It's not supposed to be about Jew or Gentile anymore. It's supposed to be about these communities where all these barriers are gone. We can be together. Uh, that, it, that this hostility brought him to the cross. It was this hostility, right? That because he refused to return to hostility, it died there with him there's almost like this idea that there was this expectation from the powers that Jesus or God at one time would retaliate, right? And we'll talk about this later uh, in chapter three, where this is like the open secret. You know, you think about the Bereans going back and reading reading their Tanakh, reading their Hebrew Bible. It's because, wow, this was here the whole time. <laughs> this was here the whole time, and we thought God was going to come like a warrior and as a warrior, he was going to destroy all these nations, and we were going to be in charge of everything, right? We were going to be in charge of the world. We were going to rule the world. Uh, yes, but not in the way we thought. We were almost going to rule it through this unification, right? This overthrow of these powers. Uh, this narrative that we just kind of went through, you guys, right here, it's backed up substantially by the gospel narratives. Can't really read through it once you see it without tripping over it. And to Paul, this is something that this would have been proof that his churches were, were, doing, were doing well, where what they were fulfilling, what the point of the whole story was, Jew and Gentiles mixed freely on equal terms. It's in every single one of his letters. Uh, we're going through Ephesians because, you know, it's one of the, the easiest, I think, to kind of see this concept spelled out. Uh, so to Paul... This is something that was, you know, vitally important. So let, let's let's talk about this real quick. So I think when most people think of the cross, right, um, and I'm not saying this isn't true, it is true. We uh, think of Jesus as the atoning sacrifice for our sins, right? We think about it, me personally. Uh, it's it's something that's often taken as given in Christianity. Most, even outside the Church, we assume that the grand purpose of the crucifixion, death, and resurrection of Jesus would be to save me personally from my sin. Paul seems to take a different point of view here. What exactly did die on the cross, and how did it change things? Can this be enlightening or useful to talk about in your church circles? What what do you guys think? We talk about, you know, we do this thing every Sunday. We call it communion. Uh, You know, like, would this be something that it would be useful is this something that's appropriate or, you know, even though Paul's not necessarily talking about, you know, dying for your sins necessarily, creating this whole new world where the barriers are suddenly gone. What do you guys think?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, dang.
2: Uh, I got a lot of stuff swarming in my head. That 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 really was like, dang! Like this, this is making me think too much about life. Uh Um, okay. <laughs> um yeah, I, yeah. I I think that's true. Cause like when he so when he mentioned the thing about like the hostility, I mean I don't think that's something I ever noticed before but like that's true like it seemed like the point that he said like the hostility is the thing that like was broken down on the cross but it's like very rare like do you ever hear anything about hostility being like broken down like on the cross like I think it usually is like you know like the atonement for the sins. I feel like that's like the predominant thought. Even, yeah, even outside of like, you know, like even outside of like, you know, like the church is kind of like, that's how most people view it. It's like, it's just a sacrifice. But like, you know, one ever really thinks of it about like, oh yeah, but you know, Jesus killed hostility at the cross. You know, what does that mean? You know, like for us, but then maybe it makes me think about that thing when Paul was kind of talking about like uh, in Galatians when he's talking about like the, he was like, you know, him himself was like crucified on the cross. And it's not, he's like, I, it's not I who live, but it's like Christ that lives through me. I don't know. And then something was running through my head about like, it was something I probably heard the other day about like, Maybe like it's like more from like, a, you know, I don't know what I call it, a mystical sense. Maybe. I don't know. But like when I think about like you're a person's ego and that's like the thing that dies, you know, like the thing that wants to kind of be like a separate. Like it wants to be separate from everything else or at least like it, it wants to like have all these categories. But that's the thing that dies. At the cross. Yeah, I don't know, I guess it's less about like an atonement and more so about the thing that was putting up a barrier, even though, I mean, I guess you could say like, okay, the atonement happened there too. And that depends on what you think about the atonement. But yeah, I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, I'm just like throwing my thoughts, <laughs> throwing my thoughts out there.
0: It's good. I, I appreciate it. It's it's good stuff, Dave. What about you?
1: Uh, you know, I think that what we're looking at, or it seems to me that what we're looking at is, uh, a, a difference between an individual and community, hmm. and uh, you know, the point of view of you know Jesus died for my sins and for my. Salvation for my atonement—it's—it's—it's it's, it's very single person, individual type of thinking. But when Paul's talking, and, and and I think this is a, a maybe this is one of the reasons that that God chose, uh, you know, uh, is, Israelites or Hebrews, what you know, uh, is because they did have this this sense of community, mm. uh, and that when when Paul seems to be talking here he seems to be trying to bring community back trying to bring all you know he's saying Jesus died so that so that we all could be together so that we could all be under God's grace or his or his umbrella um and I don't think I don't know if it's a, a western thing but we we don't look at this as it's for all of us it's 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 for me that's how we look at it or that's how at least how i've always looked at it from a western point of view
2: Mm. okay something else to that sure go for it uh yeah i think what i think what david said yeah 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 i think that's it it's like uh it's like uh yeah, like, it, it just seems like his point is just to bring everything together. Like, like if I, I feel like, because usually, I can say for me, like, especially like being in a communion thing, I feel like a lot of times it's just, like, thinking about how bad I was. And, like, mm. you know, and then kind of, like, you know, well, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. But I never, like, had the mindset of, like, the, the, the thing, like the cross is like actually like pulling us all together into this collective salvation thing, you know, like, so it's, 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 you know, like it's, it's not even necessarily about really me really It's I mean, I'm assuming if, you know, you know, if, if God, you know, gave salvation to everybody, well, obviously you have to be included in that. That's like, obviously, you know, but like, you know, the point is, it's kind of like, yeah, it's that collective sense. Like, it's like, so when I sit and I think about this, you know, like the cross, I'm thinking about everything is coming together again in like this thing. And that is, that's a different idea that, that, yeah, that's, that's different. Mm.
1: And, you know, yeah. it, it does track with a lot of other, other things that, that are said, you know, like consider, uh, you know, don't consider yourself above others, think of others before you you know, that, that whole concept, what's, what's the point of that? It, 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 if not to bring people together, if not to, to create more unity, you know, why, what does it matter how I'm thinking about other people unless it's for that purpose? Or if yeah. I think myself higher than other people, it's not for that purpose.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it definitely does. It definitely does track, I think, with uh, a lot of a lot of other things Paul says. Um, so, you know, there is something yeah, I think in one sense, you know, like I am I am very grateful, you know, when I was first uh, learning to follow Jesus and be one of his followers, that that clarity of, hey, you know, he He died for for you, you know. He died for you, your sins, and now you get to be a part of this great, this great family, this thing called the kingdom of God, right? Uh, but in one sense, I feel like there's a danger where at a certain point, like, like when you're a kid, I think, you know, and Paul, this is kind of using some Paul's language here too, like you, you tend to only really think about yourself, right? The world tends to revolve around you. But at a certain point, you have to grow up and you have to think about other people, you know, it's not, it can't just be all about you. Right. I mean, I guess it could be, but we, we call those people psychopaths. Right. That only can only get mm-hmm. about their own pain and their own needs. Right. And so I think there has to be this growing up where your corporate identity, you know, is, is a part of that as well. You know, like you're you're in this thing. And I think in, even in any church community, there, there are people that we don't like, you know, There are people who maybe we don't get along with as much as as we would like to. Uh, You're gonna find it in any family, you know. Too, you're gonna find it in a workplace. You're gonna find that, you know. I think across denominational lines, and you know, I think the ultimate tragedy is you're gonna find that, you know. I think a lot of times between Jews and you know what's what Christianity has become, Uh, and there's really no like or not much of attention, I think, on any given Sunday or any given interaction with Christians of trying to figure out, well, well, how do we bring this all all together? You know, like, um, I'm not in a good place with my spouse. I'm not in a good place with my friend. I'm not in a good place with someone in my church. Uh, And, you know, what's the point of of all this stuff that Jesus did of killing this hostility if, uh, you know, that can't be something that we need to push forward? Um, one last question, uh, as we're wrapping up here, how can the Torah of commandments and decrees possibly be different from the actual Torah and how could this be considered a wall of hostility? And are there any cautionary tales for how we as Christians can approach the Bible? Um, mm.
2: Yeah, I, I well, I think it was like the slide before, but uh, yeah, I think I think it was like uh, I, I feel like just kind of listening to it. It, I think it's very interesting because it's like, okay, like the Israelites are like this, are like these chosen people, and you know, it's like okay, and they, you know, they they this community, and you know, they they get the Torah, and it, and it's great, but it's almost like the opposite thing ends up happening. It's like well, now it's, like, about them. And it's, like, you know, and some, in some way somehow, I feel like this story just repeats itself today, like, in, like, Christianity, where it's, like, we kind of become, like, yeah, it's almost like an empire. Like, I was kind of thinking about it one day. It's, like, you know, like, why does Christianity have to be, like, number one? Like, in the sense of, like, it seems like I mean, is a, you know, it it, it is, I mean, I, I, I'm assuming, I guess it's kind of like a dominant religion, but, you know, like it is very, it can, it can kind of come across as like, like this, like big empire sort of, sort of thing. And I, I, I feel like it's like, and then we, you know, we go and we use like the scriptures and then we use it to kind of like, you know, like exclude like a bunch of like other people. So uh, almost like it puts us like on like this, like pedestal sort of thing. And it's yeah. like, yeah, it's kind of like, it's like, it's like basically doing the same exact thing. Like the thing, like Jesus was trying to like, you know, free us from, it's like, it's almost like we're doing like the same exact thing. Like, you know, like today. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like that, it, it just really reminded me, like, it's it's kind of repeating itself, and uh, I don't know what I was going to say after that, but, yeah.
0: Okay, yeah, I definitely, I see where you're coming from, I see that. Dave, any thoughts? What was the question again, Jimmy? Um,
1: sure.
0: Any cautionary tales for how uh, Christians can approach their Bibles in the way that this Torah became... Uh, dividing wall of hostility.
1: Yeah, um, you know, it's it, it's funny because there are times when <laughs> when we we read our, or I read the, the scriptures, and I and I think, how did we get here, doing wow. exactly the thing that Jesus told us not to do? Wow. And uh, and it's you know it's I think it's beyond you know what one man can do you know besides besides that if that one man was jesus but um but I think as a community we all need to start we need to start looking at at uh, at scriptures as communal as as what you know bringing the outsider the outsiders in and not looking for ways to push people out. Um, and I think that the way that, that I see the way we are doing things, it's almost like once you're in the club, then there's grace for you. And there's a different, you know, if you mess up, you know, you'll get another chance, but you got to be in the club first, you know, you have yep. to have joined the club first. And, and I think the way Christianity is functioning right now is, um, if you're not in the club, then there, there is no, there is no grace for you. There is no, there is no redemption for you. It's just, you're not in. So I think that, that, I think that changes what, what Jesus was trying to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it does. And it, you know, I think it's, it's challenging for all of us to be like, well, how do I use the Bible? Like, you know, when a Christian shows up, like, what is most people's response? Like, oh, great. They're going to judge me. They're going to tell me what to do. You know where I feel like the story that should be told is that, oh, thank goodness the Christian's here, you know I can talk to them they're they're gonna they're gonna love me they're gonna understand me they're gonna make that effort to you know help me instead of just like you know everyone else in my life who has an opinion over like what I should be doing what what I should be how I should be acting, and so I think that's a it's a challenging thing that I think uh you know. Holds a lot of promise for Christianity if we can kind of just get ourselves you know, out of the immaturity of like it's all about me. It's all about me. And like maybe it needs to be about us. And then maybe it needs to be about all of us, like the world. Like, you know, not just like that dividing line, like you're in the kingdom, you're out of the kingdom, you're going to heaven, you're going to hell, you saved, you're not saved. Uh, but like, what does God want us to do and in speak into the these spaces and uh this world and how can we do it in a way that supports you know the the vision of paul the the apocalypse of jesus of like there there are no more barriers there aren't the wall of hostility is gone and we need to be living in this age as the new age is coming to effect in the life death and resurrection of jesus and in the life and the actions of his church um so, if, if, I just,
1: to... if I could just add right. something, because uh, something that you uh, you said sparked a, a a memory for me. Sure. Um, at, at my job, there are times where where I'm uh, I'm doing well, <laughs> and uh, and some of my my employees, not uh, not necessarily my employees, but the people who work under me, yeah. uh, you know, they'll they'll have some kind of praise for me, and they'll say. Um. Oh, you, you know, you're so good to talk to, or or oh, you always try to do the right thing, and and when I say, well, it's because I'm a Christian. the The response usually is, "No, nah, that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> you're a good guy," and <laughs> and and I think it's and when you said that, that you know, when when you get you arrive somewhere with your Bible, people will roll their eyes and go, "Oh, here comes." Here comes the, the party pooper or the guy who's going to judge us, the guy who's going who's to you know, tell us what we're doing wrong and when the reaction should be different. And even if the reaction is different, if we credit the Bible or if we credit Jesus, they, they're quick to dismiss it because of so many uh, experiences with people who don't behave that way who claim Christianity. And I think that's, uh, that's a tough tough hurdle. And I think that goes to that cautionary tale like you mentioned. What, yeah. what are we putting out in the world as, as, a, as a community, as Christians? What are we putting out into the world that people with the first thing they think of us is is negative?
0: Yeah. And I think uh, too, and this is the final thought I'll have because I know we're a little over time here, is that I think most Christians' response is, well, that's not my problem. The way rest, the rest of Christianity is thought of, I just got here. My, my tradition started in the 80s or my tradition started like two years ago. Like, you know, like w- what does that have to do with me? And I think uh, the more responsible, more grown up approach would be like, no, 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 as a Christian, I am responsible for church history and I'm responsible for speaking into the world now to do something about maybe some of those negative reputations that, you know, my church history globally has kind of earned for itself. I don't know if that makes any mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Cool. Awesome, guys. Well, I thought we were going to get out of chapter two today. We are almost there. We will we will fly through it next week. We have two more sessions, and then we'll be out of Ephesians. I know we can do it. Uh, you guys are awesome. Uh, let's close it out. Uh, who can say, I guess, Dave, say adios, muchachos.
1: Adios, muchachos. Go ahead.
0: Andre, say it with your flair.
2: And adios, smooth cha, cha, cha. Is it cha, cha, cha? I get it. I got it. Okay. All right, guys.
1: Good night. Cool.